This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Here we go. Ready to get set? It's Monday. We're starting another week here on the program. Thanks for being with us. And uh, whatever you're doing, yeah, just pause for a moment. We're going to tell you what's coming up on the show. And then just get back to what you're doing, but appreciate knowing you're out there riding along with myself and Ramya Muthan, who's at the home studio in Toronto. A good day to you. Oh, thank you. A good day to you. Was so, it an early one? Uh, always an early one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Always even for you, one. are Monday mornings just as early as every other morning? No, try to stay on the same routine. Okay. Just try to keep it Good going at you. the same. And, and uh, then I, but, you know, then I sometimes get a little confused if I happen to have a day off or, or whatever. I'm like, what do I do with this? And then, you know, I, I but I still love early in the day. Always have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, You guys had your Santa Claus parade in Toronto. So I guess we can start here talking all about those things. London had ours last week. Uh, do you do you attend this thing ever? No, we were talking about this earlier and just saying how people love parades. I've always found parades a bit overstimulating. I like hearing about parades, watching the parades on TV, or just knowing that there's this festive stuff going on and people are very excited about it. But I myself, if it's firsthand experience going to parades, eh, not so much at least not the really busy ones. At one time I took part in Caravana um, as part of like the, the steel pan playing and I found it just wow. So much. Too so much? much? Yeah, too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is it all the stimuli, all the people around you or just the people, loudness? noise, loudness, yeah. crowds, everything. I, I find my energy is very low after experiencing something like that. Little bits and pieces, like if you're passing through an area where a parade is going on, that's all right. You know, it's kind of just uh, like packed downtown or something. But uh, spending hours having a parade pass by, not so much. How about you? So we were shooting... Um a St. Patrick's Day episode for Blindsided. And one of the things that, well, I say that, we we were shooting a segment that we shot around it and then put it as part of a show later. But I had to participate in the parade. And I thought, okay, we're just going to get a little bit of footage of me walking in the parade for a little while, and then I'd bow out. You know, no need for me to do the whole parade. I walked the whole parade route. And and I I still and like I I remember the camera and we're just kept going and the director just just keep going yeah just keep going guys just keep going and walking along and I walked the whole parade route all dressed in my um my 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 green outfit and stuff like that for it uh, it was it was fun but like you I had all this noise and the great thing was being in the fresh air and I wasn't on a float so I was just walking along. And I thought that was kind of nice, the stopping and starting. Oh, okay. Uh, What are we doing here? (laughs) Um, And I've also ridden on floats years ago as a kid. I remember riding on one for the Special Ability Riding Institute uh, here in in London for Sari. And 
I had a really good time. Uh, rode inside, didn't like it as much. We rode with one of the radio stations. The second year I, I was in the parade, I was on a float, and it was Aww. great. And my father, I remember him walking along with, with some of the other volunteers, and he was dressed as uh, Bert from Sesame Street. Had a great time interacting with the kids. So, you know, it, it, it has its uh, fun time, I'm sure. I'm sure the people who get involved in the parades, they, it's contagious, and they just want to do it every year and uh, get bit by by that bug, whether it's a, a St. Patrick's Day parade or, or Christmas parade. So fedora's off to them for doing the work, all that organization, and putting up with a lot of loudness that we're whining about. No kidding. <laughs> Coming up today on Kelly and Company. The FIFA World Cup is just days away. Well, let's be fair. That's for Canada I'm talking about. And Canada is in for the first time since 1986. We get the, the uh, details with the neutral zones. Josh Watson, who joins us today. An exciting highlight coming up on our community report. Fans of Murdoch Mysteries have a chance to step behind the scenes and experience the history, science, and fashion of the internationally acclaimed show. And as I said, community report. So Annette Dennis from London, Ontario is going to tell us more. So obviously we're talking parades. Holiday time is upon us. Independent living skills specialist Leanne Barda brings us a holiday fun guide with tips on tree timing, personalized gifts, and sensory activities for kids with sight loss coming up in our two on the program. So many Canadians are feeling the pinch of decades of high uh, inflation. However, ladies and gentlemen, a global comparison says that Canada is faring better than other major economies. Annual inflation has fallen from its peak of 8.1% in June to 6.9% in October. While that's still well above the country's 2% target, it's lower than in the U.S., U.K. and European Union. BMO chief economist Douglas Porter says inflation has been particularly high in Europe because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He says the Bank of Canada ramping up interest rates faster than other central banks is another reason inflation is not as high here. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. I guess... And, I, and I'm glad, don't get me wrong, that these things are put out there because, you know, we're always so tired and always saying we're tired of the doom and gloom. Tell us something positive. So whatever you take from that, um, it is something more positive in comparison. But it certainly doesn't mean that our food banks are overrun and running out of supplies and they need help and support because so many of us need help these days. Yeah, you know, I can't even imagine, uh, like right now... We know what our realities are and how many conversations we've had with all these different angles uh, to think people, communities, countries are having it worse. And then to wonder, well, well then what what are our governments doing? Uh, what are their governments doing to combat? Right. We talked about how the Bank of Canada increasing interest rates and how that's affecting everything else, because, of course, everything at the end of the day is a ripple effect. Um, but it is in some way or another us trying to get ahead of it or at least balance it out a little. And then you're thinking, okay, European Union and U.S., how's that going to work? It's interesting because you'll hear people say about the structure of the banks in Canada and, and, and the way we do it, the getting ahead of some of this stuff seems to be the way here. I don't really understand the positives, you know, in the way of bank structure. I feel lucky and mm -hmm. hopefully uh, we're doing what we can, but we are also a smaller country when it comes to our, our population, so so much of that uh, has a lot to do with it. 
Folks, I want to talk a little space. As you know, we love to bring this stuff up. NASA's Orion capsule has complete the first part of its mission. And liftoff of Artemis 1. NASA said all along that the goal of the Artemis 1 mission was to send the Orion capsule to the moon and back while carrying three test dummies acting as placeholders until actual humans are ready to go. On Monday, the capsule reached the moon and whipped around it, the slingshot maneuver necessary to pick up enough speed to enter moon's lopsided lunar orbit. While that was happening, there was a nerve-wracking communications blackout because the capsule was on the moon's dark side. It showed up again on mission control video a half hour later, the capsule set to splash down back on Earth December 11th. Sherry Preston, ABC News. So I guess this is where people start thinking that, hey, in my lifetime, can I get like a trip to the moon? Will they put up some kind of space up there uh, for us to be able to dock and hang around out there in on the moon, looking back at Earth and that beautiful sight that it is uh, and getting a head start on where... <laughs> If any fleeing temporarily has to be from the planet, I don't know. I I always find this interesting, and I've always loved when they talk about that slingshot um, process to get it get the the shuttle or whatever it might be now or in future back to Earth. So obviously we're we're watching this, waiting for the return in December. Coming up next, Michael Babcock. He joins us on the program, and today he's going to fill us in on Smart Glance, a new feature for JAWS that analyzes text format to highlight visual points of interest down the page. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. As we're just getting started, wherever you're listening in around the world, appreciate you being with us. Maybe you're over there at AMI.ca live streaming the show. Thanks, guys. If you want to reach out to us, feedback at AMI.ca. Send an email. The Gang of Communications and Marketing will help you out. Feedback at AMI.ca. You can give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Mention it's for Kelly and Company. If you don't mind, give us permission to use your message on air. Otherwise, we won't do that to you. 1-866-509-4545. And on Twitter, at AMI-audio. Send a message, follow along with the show, whatever whatever works for you. Ramiel Muthan, Kelly McDonald, hanging out here on Kelly and Company. And on Mondays, we get to wrap or catch up on all the tech news and things that are going on and sometimes even pick up on where we left off last week. Michael Babcock does this with us every Monday. And Mike, we were going to get into this last week didn't necessarily get to it so jaws 2023 uh, is where we're getting started they released a new feature called smart glance can you help us understand uh, how this works yeah so smart glance is the ability to tap the y key which used to stand for skip to next span element i'm sorry i don't know what that meant so i'm glad that they changed (laughs) this to smart glance because now i know what a smart glance is and this allows the uh end user to hear information that jaws ai has determined to be important information for the website visitor when you press the y key on a site like Amazon or on another site, it'll take you to a certain part of the web page and read information, again, that is determined to be important. It doesn't rely on the web developers to uh, mark up the web page with heading navigation 
and honestly, I'm, I'm, I, I like heading navigations, but sometimes headings are in some weird places that you're like, why, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so smart glance will also allow you to uh, get this information. For example, in Amazon, there's uh, several different sections on Amazon that are not identified as heading navigation. One of which is a very important one because I'm always giving Amazon money, but this is how to get money from Amazon. So, you know, one of those things I would have skipped over if I was just using heading navigation. Or if you're going to a new web page and you're trying to get information about a store's hours, or maybe you've gone to the, the web page of, of somewhere you're interested in going shopping for the holiday season and you want their address or their phone number or something that's on sale, um, the, the web developers will have made this in a way that naturally would draw the eye for a sighted user. And JAWS Smart Glance is trying to be that eye that gets drawn to what the web developer wants to show you, which I think makes things a lot more of a equal, even playing field. Interesting. Okay, sir. So does someone not using a MacBook with the M processor need to know a little more about JAWS and ARM? Yeah, so uh, with JAWS 2023, there is a new installer that uh, is based on the uh, ARM processor and on the uh, traditional x86 processors. Uh, ARM is on Windows-based computers. It's a processor that is going to give you better battery life. And it will also give you better performance on your computer in a lot of instances uh, because it does require a different way of writing the program. Uh, you can't just use all software on ARM-based processors. Um, so not all apps will be compatible, but JAWS 2023 is compatible. And uh, the Surface Pro X is an ARM-based computer that uh, someone might want to use JAWS with. And just a quick side note, for individuals who are like, well, I I use NVDA, I don't use JAWS. NVDA will work natively with ARM-based processors as well. Um, So that's the important info. You know, I wish I had got you to say it first, right? So, uh, (laughs) Michael, yeah, I knew that. I thought, well, 50% on that one, pal. <laughs> well, it works either way, right? ARM, ARM. It just it, you're just yeah. working on your spelling skills there. Kevin. Yeah, that's that's right. I'm just showing off. You know, I I don't need to use yeah. the little, you know. So I like this <laughs> next one um, because it's going back to keyboard efficiency. Okay, so Freedom Scientific released a support guide showing you how the F6 key can be very useful, especially in apps like PowerPoint. So how can we leverage this key, the F6, um, to better our experiences with apps? Yeah, so F6 works similarly, not exactly the same, but similarly to the tab key. It'll take you through user interfaces and uh, uh, programs, also on the web too. I've, I've found it to start u- to start being able to use it on the web as well. Uh, For example, in the PowerPoint article that was discussed, it'll take you to uh, user slides shown or the speaker notes and to other sections inside of the PowerPoint if you're presenting or not presenting. Uh, F6 is also often used in Teams, and I use F6 quite regularly to navigate to different sections in Zoom. Um, And lastly, my favorite tool called Discord, which I've talked about a couple of times, 
uses F6 to jump between your server list and your list of channels. So if the tab key, generally what I have told people is if the tab key doesn't take you where you think it should, then give a F6 a try and note that you can use shift F6 if you need to go back. So uh, inside of a interface, both on the web and within an actual application. All right, <laughs> here we go again. Get <laughs> GitHub has a tool called Copilot. Co Copilot? I think that's probably the best way Copilot. to say it. Copilot. Oh, run together. That makes sense. Uh, what are they? Yeah. So let's take a quick moment and go back and explain what Git is. Git is a version control software that allows developers to make changes to their software and uh, not apply that to the main uh, software branch. Um, and then it'll also get I see see I can't keep my words straight either. GitHub <laughs> allows individuals to work in a team environment and make real-time changes to their software. So GitPilot is a tool that you can get oh GitHub is owned by Microsoft now. So GitPilot is a tool that Microsoft has released for GitHub app developers that allows, the developer to type into comments kind of what they're looking to do. So if you want to be able to, I don't know, add a dialog box, you could write a comment that says add dialog box in the GitHub Copilot tool will make a suggestion of code that you can use in order to write this, uh, this element into your application, which is kind of cool. If you're trying to learn how to program, you can start writing comments and see how those programs will work. Or if you are a programmer and you want to be able to be more efficient and spend less time looking up documentation of how do I make this dialog box or how do I make this, this menu bar, you can just write in the comments what you want and GitHub Copilot will make a recommendation on how you could implement that code into the code that you're currently working on. Okay, sounds like a pretty uh, important or usable tool. And Copilot has a new feature for programmers that could help those who may not be able to type. What was announced that way? So there's a Hey S and a Hey A and now a yeah. Hey GitHub or Hey Copilot, and you can use your voice in VS Code now. Uh, well, you you are able to use your voice to uh, ask for suggestions for code and be able to get that code added to the project that you're working on. This is in a uh, limited use test environment. There's no guarantee that this will be handed out to uh, individuals to be able to use with the Git Pilot software. However, I just think it's pretty cool that now you can use your voice to write code and maybe that code's going to process other people's voice. So it's a very interesting world we live in now with app development. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it is. It's just fantastic with all the different tricks, as we like to say, like, uh, uh, you know, as the things that give you these options that you can do things. Um, let's talk a little bit about sales. We all like a good deal. Harjan uh, mm -hmm. Consultant has a holiday sale coming on. What might listeners find if they're wanting to save a little dough? Yeah, so first of all, I did not realize this, that Lisi version 8 is coming out in January. So uh, we'll be talking about that probably because I've, I'm very fond of this tool. Although I've been using the Mac more, and unfortunately Lisi's not on the Mac. But 
If you are a Lisi user through November 29th, which is how long these sales last, you can uh, get a discounted upgrade price for getting yourself prepared to be eligible for the Lisi 8 version. Um, this one is cool, and I'm going to have to go pick this up myself because I use it, but I feel like I could be more efficient. Reaping the Benefits, one of his Reaper uh, with Jaws courses, is being discounted from 50, uh, $258 U.S. dollars. Uh, Sensibility, using the Braille Sense 6, is also being discounted to $58, a savings of about 30 uh, pounds. <clears throat> and there is... Uh, Jaws muscles, being increasing productivity with Jaws and Windows is being uh, reduced by about $12 as well. Uh, Brian has his JSA courses on uh, JSA tools and courses on sale, and he's also reducing the uh, rate for three hours of one-on-one -on -one training. And you can get more information about these sales and what's available at harkin.org. Uh, go to the news section, and the second uh, news section or news article that was published is where you can get information about that. The first one, uh, he is teaching people how to use Mastodon, so uh, that that could be something interesting to look at as well. Yeah, we've been talking, of course, about that as as an alternative. Um, what would your alternative be, Michael, if if Twitter ends up like it says right now with everybody uh, out of the ship, the ship having no one to man it, and the potential problems that, that may break it? So I have always been a huge fond, fond person of saying build your own social network. Build your own presence on the, on the web. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon, YouTube, all of these services aren't in the game to help you. They're, they're in the game to help themselves and to help the bottom line. So to answer your question, Kelly, my response would be my own website. And maybe I'll get back into this thing that started all of this social media blogging a little bit more so I can share with people what's going on. Or, of course, podcasting because it's so easy to do now. Well, talk about your own profile and what we're all talking about, people. The big, what is the big term now? Your own personal brand. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. I don't like that word brand, but I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, me too. Me too. I know what you mean. Hey, Michael, before yeah. we leave, any upcoming, uh, you know, tours or tech things that you want to talk about before we let you go? ACB 2022 Audio Description Gala is the 29th of November. Wanted to shout that one out. Uh, you don't realize how, how much audio description has impacted your life until you're watching a show with your wife yesterday and you realize, hey, this, though it is using text-to-speech, has audio description. So now I know what's nice. going on on this particular show. So, yeah, that's the one I wanted to mention that's coming up uh, next week. I love it. Yes, an audio description has been an absolute game changer for a lot of us and then um, has really brought out the diva in the rest of us because I, I just refuse to watch <laughs> anything without audio description now. Michael, thank you so much. Me now too, yep. Exactly. <laughs> you guys have a great show. Thank you. Michael Babcock joining us on Mondays for our Tech Talk and a little bit of everything. I really have to explore this F6 a little more oh, oh yeah definitely <laughs> yeah there you go and uh, so many things this guy brings to us some of the things 
I could even pronounce. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. FIFA, uh, of course, right now the World Cup is on and Canada's in for the first time since 1986. We'll get the details with the Neutral Zone's uh, Josh Watson. He joins us after this break. We'll talk to him in two minutes. You know, it's amazing when we talk uh, technology with Michael, just some of the things he comes up with, that so many people all over the map out there, you, you know, is going to connect with it. And uh, I love that because there is just so much stuff out there now. Whether you're a JAWS user, whether you're using you know, one of the other systems, the point is there's going to be something you connect to and or stop like I did and say, gee, I don't, I don't know that really with Jaws. What, what's this here? What's this to listen to? And I'm sure you find that the same, Rummy, as you just amazed that there is so many options. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, because we all have all different ways of doing things and... And needs. You know, yeah, needs as well and just preferences, right? Like if you think about just modifier mm-hmm. keys in general you for voiceover, for Jaws, for whatever, um, it used to be you know that Jaws was, what was it, caps lock? Right. And now you can pretty much customize it to whatever it is you're liking because we, some of us are even using more than one operating system and, uh, and screen reader. Yeah. And we see that there's similarities that you either can yeah. develop yourself or that they have. So that I remember the old days when they'd say, well, once you learn a couple of computer systems, you can learn any. You know, and yeah. I'd say, what do you mean by that? But there is so much. There's only so many different things one can do, so many different things you can do with keyboards and, and your commands. So really great stuff. Today, folks, Brock Richardson isn't with us. He's been away and uh, sitting in for him on our weekly sports update right here on the program is Josh Richardson, one of the other panelists from the program, The Neutral Zone. And you can find their show, of course, available. We'll get to more of that later on uh, as a podcast as well and a video podcast through YouTube or hear it here on AMI. Audio at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays. Josh, welcome back to the show. Nice to have you with us today. Nice to be with you and Ramya as well, Kelly. And of course, it's uh, Watson, not Richardson, but I know you knew that. So. Yeah, I did. I, and, so I've done, and I've done that to you before. <laughs> and I sit here, even when I'm working, I'll say, I got to do that. I gotta, I'm got i going to mess it up. I know I am. And, and then I don't even hear that I've done Josh Richardson uh, filling in for Brock Watson. Yeah, uh, it's all, Mr. All Watson. Good. What is your uh, what is your leadoff item, Mr. Watson? <laughs> well, today I thought we would talk a little bit about the World Cup since it's only a few days away. Uh, at least Canada's portion of the World Cup is only a few days away. We actually right. play Belgium in our first game on Wednesday. Uh, Canada is in the World Cup for the first time since 1986, and I. Personally, don't want to do the math and figure out how long ago that was, but I can tell you I was eight years old. So those that are better at math will now be able to figure out how old I am. Uh, it should be an interesting tournament. There are a lot of people who are not giving Canada a lot of chance to get out of their group, but it was announced over the weekend that one of Belgium's star strikers, a gentleman named Lukaku, is actually out for the first two games against Canada and Croatia. So Depending on how important he is to the Belgian side, we might have more of a chance than we thought we did. So it'll be interesting to see how Canada does. Well, it's been nice watching him get here. 
right? And and again, I know for some people, if they if they have a poor performance, if you want to call it that, even though we're up against the world's best, you know, in this tournament, um, you, you know what? It's been a nice ride to get here, and what a nice building block. Well, absolutely, and I think that's the key. We're probably not necessarily expected to do anything at this World Cup, but it's getting us prepared for the next World Cup when the Mexicans, the Americans, and ourselves are actually co-hosting. Right. Yep. I think that's where the Canada really hit its stride in, in World Cup play. But it will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, looking forward to how um, you guys on the neutral zone keep re- reacting and keeping us posted um, on FIFA. Let's talk about the Toronto Blue Jays for a bit as well. They recently made a significant trade. Josh, can you highlight what the trade was? Absolutely. The Blue Jays traded their star outfielder, Teoscar Hernandez, to the Seattle Mariners in exchange for two pitchers. We received a gentleman named Eric Swanson, who was 3-2 and two with a 1.68 ERA in 57 games of Seattle's bullpen last year. Uh, he also projects to make $1.4 million next season, which is actually the key to this whole deal. Uh, it seems as though the Blue Jays are gearing up for something, and unfortunately, as part of that, we, uh, we ended up losing Teoscar Hernandez. The other pitcher was a gentleman named Adam Mako, who is actually a Slovakian-Canadian. He's from Vauxhall, Alberta. And for high A Everett, he had eight starts last year, had a 3.99 ERA, but had 60 strikeouts in 38 and a third innings. So these are, are some interesting pieces. So... One's going to say you gave up a lot to get what may turn out to be certainly going to be help. There's no question. And if we go by what you said, that we're seeming to be positioned for something else, uh, the question has to be, are you satisfied with this trade? Well, yes and no. I'm satisfied with the trade because I understand that sometimes a popular player has to go in order for better players to come in. Having said that, we all thought something would be done at the trade deadline last year, and we ended up with Zach Pop, uh, Mitch White, I'm going to call him. I'm not sure if that's correct. I'll have to double check. And uh, Anthony Bass. And we were told, that's it. That's all we need to do. Everything else is good. And we saw that it wasn't. So if this is a building block towards something else, I'm all for it. If this is if this is our grand move for the offseason, I'm not happy at all. So just have to give them the benefit of the doubt and wait and see. Okay. Uh, sticking with baseball for a little more, a little longer, there were also some awards given out for manager of the year. Can you highlight who the winners were? Absolutely. So for the American League, we had Terry Francona, who's the manager of the Cleveland Guardians. He was the AL Manager of the Year. He's won the uh, award now three times um, in his tenure with both Cleveland and Boston. He's been a manager for about 19 years overall after a playing career as well. Uh, he led the Guardians to a 92-70 and 70 record this season and ended up going all the way to the AL Division Series against the Yankees where they were eventually defeated. On the National League side, the winner was Buck Showalter, manager of the New York Mets. He 
is now a four-time winner of Manager of the Year, three times on the American League side, and once now as a National League manager. Uh, he also has managed for about 19 years, and he led the Mets to a 101-61 and record this season, and they ended up losing in the wild card to the San Diego Padres. Now, there is another manager that some, including one Brock Richardson, if I remember correctly, thinks maybe should have won the award, and that is Rob Thompson out of Stratford, Ontario, who took over the Philadelphia Phillies when they were at a record of 22-29. and 29. He subsequently led them to an appearance in the World Series. So there's, there's room there to debate whether or not that's a snub or not. I mm. suppose it depends on the, uh, what the rules are, but I like the local guy personally. Well, I, I think maybe he yeah. should. Yeah, I, I love the local guy. I love the story, but I think that's kind of what it is. We're screaming Canadian, left out, snubbed again, in my opinion, on that one. Even though he did fantastic, he brought a team that some would say, yeah, but look what he was handed. But then again, you know, you could have been, you know, Steve Nash handed the Brooklyn Nets. So, and we know how that ended well, up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Canadian Football League wrapped up its season yesterday. What was for you, Josh, the biggest takeaway from our Grey Cup? What a game that was. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, I have not been on the edge of my seat for a CFL game in a long time, and that was amazing. Uh, first half was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I really thought Winnipeg was going to run away with this, to be honest with you. But at halftime, we ended up at 10-7, to 7, which... Uh, which was rather surprising. I, I thought it might have been a higher score. Um, overall, opinions, um, things I've noticed, there was a lot more passing than I expected, given that the two teams have some amazing running backs. You had Brady Oliveira for the Bombers, and you had the two-headed monster, if you will, of A.J. Ouellette and Andrew Harris for the Argonauts. So I really thought the ground game would be more widely used than it was, but defense seemed to be the name of the game. Uh, both defenses were very strong. Um, if, of course, you, you look over that uh, Janarian Grant punt return for a PD, which was 102 yards when it was all said and done, uh, that was that was maybe a, a missed opportunity on somebody's part. But, you know, those things happen. Uh, Winnipeg tended to stick to their running game a bit more than the Argos did from what I saw. Uh, we got a bit of a chance to see the Argos backup quarterback, Chad Kelly, in the third and fourth mm -hmm. quarter. Impressive. He, he did he was, very well, very yeah. impressive. And uh, it was funny, as I was watching the game, I scribbled down a note that came across the screen or was mentioned by the commentators that Winnipeg would be the first team since 1982 to three-peat as Grey Cup champions if they won. But then a few, few downs later, they happened to mention that the Argos have won all Grey Cup meetings against Winnipeg. So I guess that, uh, that, that bodes well for, for them, and they ended up winning the game. And, uh, yeah, very, very exciting, exciting game. So outside of this game, Josh, a thumbs up on the CFL product for this year, would you say, and some of the moves uh, that they've made? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm liking the idea of moving the Grey Cup earlier and earlier. We kind of miss the cold and the snow. 
Well, yes, there is something to be said for for football in the cold and the snow. It, uh, I, I still remember the game in Ottawa a few years back where it was snowing as the game was uh, going on. But we we have to get more product out to the people, it would seem, and we need some people to keep supporting this uh, this wonderful sport. I know Cam Jenkins of, of our Neutral Zone crew is a big Argos fan, and so he's celebrating today. Uh, but we need a lot more people like that to uh, really get behind this game. I happen to find it interesting. I will sit down on a Friday night and watch a game if it's on. doesn't matter what teams are on as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's been really fascinating to see how Winnipeg has been so dominant, considering that the West uh, division has always been a bit stronger than the East. Um, it'll be also interesting to see what happens now that the rights to Bo Levi Mitchell, the former quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders, has been traded to the Hamilton Tigercats. Mm-hmm. See if they right. manage to find him or not, because that could really change the East. Yeah, but overall, I thought it was an exciting season and yeah. looking forward to next year. And will you tell us about the excitement ahead on the neutral zone? You guys uh, record your show today, airing here on AMI-audio tomorrow, as well as available as a podcast on, and on YouTube. Well, can you tee it up for us? You betcha. On this week's show, we have Canadian blind hockey player Jason Ewa joining the show. He's going to talk to us about the Canadian high, excuse me, the Canadian blind hockey team's recent domination of the United States in a three-game series over in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So that should be very interesting to hear his perspective on things. We also are going to discuss the Teoscar Hernandez trade a bit more and put a bow on the Great Cup. So you'll get to hear some of the opinions of the rest of the crew on how the game went and what they thought of the whole thing. So Josh, it's going to be awesome. A it sounds like it. Folks can find it when they do a search on YouTube after it airs here on AMI-audio tomorrow. Appreciate you filling in for Mr. Richardson today, Josh Watson of the Neutral Zone panel. My pleasure, folks. Have a great day. Check him and the gang out at 11 a.m. Eastern right here on AMI-audio on Tuesdays. Uh, and again, once again, remind you, you can still find it as a podcast. You can go online and watch it via YouTube as well to see them sitting back and doing what uh, what seems like a, a lot of fun for a lot of us, talking sports. Coming up next on the program, AMI's original podcast, The Pulse, is now available as well in video on YouTube. Host Joita Gutta joins us to talk about the evolution of the program and the conversation that puts a spotlight on disability issues across Canada. She'll be here momentarily. In Canada, when we're live on the air or one of the repeats of the program, you can check out AMI-audio right from your TV. Rogers, Ontario customers, look for us on channel 196. MTS customers, we're on channel 704. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of Kelly & Company. Thanks for being with us. So, Mondays, we like to 
catch people up on things that are going on with AMI, and there's always something going on. <laughs> there are podcasts and initiatives and projects and things like that. And we've been making our way down the list of newly released video podcasts available on YouTube. And these are existing AMI audio podcasts as well. So one that you may be aware of because it's been on for years is The Pulse, now hosted by Juita Gupta. And this is an AMI audio original, again, available on YouTube as well, where host Juita Gupta brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. And Juita joins us now to tell us a little bit more. So, Juita, welcome to Kelly and Company. It's been a while. It's it been has forever. been a while. Thank you for having yeah. me. It has been forever. I can't <laughs> remember the last time I was on, but I'm delighted to be back. So thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. And actually, how long has it been since you started hosting The Pulse? Have you been keeping track? Because it was uh, you and Dave for a bit and then Dave for a bit and now you and Dave's on now with Dave Brown. So, uh, like, it's been a while since it's been you weekly on The Pulse. Yeah, I mean, we played a bit of musical chairs for sure. I think, um, and Andy Frank can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've been consistently hosting The Pulse going all the way back to 2019, September. So it's been three years. Oh my yeah. God, it's been three years. Wow, nice. that's amazing. It's your show now. It's your show. You won. It is, yeah. One musical chairs. It's all mine. Well, and it's a totally different looking show in that aspect. I mean, when it launched, what what it what it was to what it what you've got it to, Joey. Even when you took it over, and how things changed uh, with you producing the show. There's a lot that falls under that hat of yours. So give us a general overview of the subjects that you bring light to on the program. A lot of uh, content has stayed the same in general from its inception. The Pulse has been a long-form interview show that dives into issues that matter to the disability community, and that can cover a wide range of topics, anything from advocacy to sports, sex to education. You name it, and we'll talk about it. One of the um, upsides or downsides, depending on your point of view, of my hosting the show is that a lot of it has really come down to the things that I'm curious about. So there's a lot of interesting things that happen in the disability community. Um, You know, I have a lot of passion for disability arts. I love doing books. I love talking to authors. I love having uh, conversations with people around disability law and advocacy. Lots of inroads made into the area of accessible education. And we tend to talk about a lot of those conversations on the pulse. And so one of the things that's been rewarding as a producer is to see uh, the, uh, or to have rather, I should say, the opportunity to talk about the things that spark my curiosity. Of course, mm-hmm. there are things that I admit I'm not as curious about, uh, sport being one of them, but that's why I leave it to the good, the folks at the neutral zone to cover us on that. But I at least try to have one sports-related or two sports-related shows every year, if not more. But even when I'm talking about sports, when we're doing these deep dive conversations, it's a chance to go beyond the headlines, to go beyond the the elevator pitch, if you like, and to really dig into the concept or idea or personality, depending on who it is that we're talking to. So the process is a really varied show. It can be very different uh, in just in the last... uh, three months or so that we've actually hasn't even been three months, the last two and a half months that we've been on YouTube. We've had shows talking about 
uh, disability fashion. So there was a fashion designer who uh, started outside it, ended up being fully blind, and she now has a brand that uh, caters designs to people who are blind. We've had our good friend David Lepofsky on the program just quite recently talking about uh, the Canada Disability Benefit. I had a wonderful guest on in September who talked about autism and autism research in the Indigenous community. So there's a lot of variation on the show. It's one of the things that keeps me on my toes as a host and as a producer because there's no such thing as the typical show. The pulse is so varied in terms of the content and the guests that I feel like every week is an adventure for me as a host and as a producer where I learn mm-hmm. something new. And of course, I hope that that extends that sense of curiosity, that sense of wanting to immerse ourselves in disability politics, advocacy and issues. I hope that curiosity and that sense of wanting to know more extends to the audience as well. Mm. So for yeah. people out there, Joey, that, that are interested in being a talk show host or being a producer or the combination of both, can you speak to how being a producer has enhanced what you do as a host for this program? You know, I, I think it's the first time I'm going to say this out loud. I actually think that I make a better producer in a lot of ways than I do a host. That's not to say that I don't love to host, because I do. It's great to have the privilege as a person with a disability to talk about the issues that matter to me personally. And as I said just a few minutes ago, the pulse is very much curiosity-driven for me. But being a producer really allows you to hone a number of other skills that can really help you as a host. For one thing, you're doing your own research. So you hopefully come to your conversation better prepared, more immersed in the topic and able to ask interesting questions because you're not just being handed a script or handed a background or you're actually able to go deep into the issue and spend a week or so thinking about it before you actually go ahead and have a conversation with the guest. I think one of the things that you do as a producer is you get to know yourself as a person. So I think Um, before I started to produce The Pulse, I would not have been as aware of my limitations as a person. I hadn't actually given as much thought to where it is that I find my interests line up with the show and where it is that I actually have to work to make sure that we're covering content that might be of interest to other people, even if my inclination isn't to go there. So you become very Mm -hmm. self-aware as a person. And I feel that that's not a bad thing to know more about yourself in the endeavor. Never. I also think that being a good produ- I also think that being a good producer can be about asking yourself tough questions and being prepared to go where you might be otherwise hesitant to go. So I know not so much on this channel, but I know in general there's a perception not entirely unfounded that there's taboo around sex and disability and a perception that people with disabilities either can't or don't or won't want to have sex. That's just one example of how the pulse tends to go where, not to say where no show has gone before, but certainly as a producer, you start to have a sense of um, wanting to establish or create your credibility as a host by asking tough questions and bringing up topics that you might have otherwise been hesitant to bring up. So it's a really rewarding experience. A lot of the work of producing goes unnoticed but if you've heard anyone you know who is a well-established host they'll often offer kudos to the team or the people behind the scenes who do so much of the legwork and it's been a real privilege to be able to marry those two things 
the ability to host as well as the ability to produce in the pulse in the way that I have been. I think the two roles really inform one another. Being a good host primes you for the kinds of questions you think you'd want to ask. Whereas being a good producer really opens up the conversation thematically in terms of the topics you'd like to raise, if that makes any sense to you. Tons of sense. And you're right. I think that a lot of what you're talking about is the tandem uh, coordination between being host and producer, which you get to be both on your show. And I'm curious about, because you mentioned um, all of the, the curiosities that you have personally and you bring that to the show and the intent behind it as well. I'm curious about what kind of representation you're still going through that list and checking off, you know, whether it be BIPOC or particular issues and challenges in the disability community or conversations that we just don't have enough of headlines or deep dives. And, and you're thinking this is still, if you want to call it bucket list material or just things that you're keeping track of that you want to, um, bring on to the pulse? Yeah, it's a good question, Ramya, because I think one of the areas that I really want us to focus on on the pulse, so, and by us, I mean me, I really want us to spend some time talking about disability and Indigenous issues. Um, a lot of ground to be covered there. I also have a desire to talk about people who don't necessarily get talked about under the rubric of the disability community. I'm thinking about psychiatric survivors or people mm. who might um, have the label of a quote-unquote mental health illness or issue and what their stories and what their narrative experience is. There are many important programs that um, take place not just in Toronto but across Canada where it really shifts your perspective around thinking of the mental health uh, as less of a, a, an individual illness and more as something that's socially constructed. I just had this wonderful conversation with Tim Martin, who's a researcher based at a York University, and he did this wonderful um, interview with me about how there was a confluence between the homeless population that was also often written off as being quote-unquote mentally ill and why that was and why it continues to, that, that trope continues to persist in the media. I think the other piece around the disability community that I would really like to focus on is around the intellectually disabled or developmentally disabled community. Um, it's not often that we talk about some of the important issues and vagaries around that community and they're very particular history of discrimination, isolation, mm -hmm. and segregation. And I think we could do more. And indeed, I think a lot of us do make that effort or that endeavor to try and include the voices of people with developmental disabilities. The last, sort of, the last aim that I've had for the show, and it's not, um, it's not an exhaustive list, but we often think about the right kind of voice or the quintessential typical type of voice that we have on air we don't normally have people with stutters on our show and i'm really proud of the interview i did not only with maya chipkoff which is uh, the youtube video but i want to say last september about a year ago i did an interview with robert kingett who um 
wrote a book or was the editor of an anthology called The Artificial Divide, which was mm-hmm. uh, written by a bun- by a, which which had a number of blind contributors to it, and it was a really great conversation to talk about the artificial Joita- divide book. I'm sorry to cut you off mid-sentence, but we've got to run out of here. People, check out that episode and uh, your most recent episode um, about uh, with the guest on stuttering as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the Pulse on AMI-audio and available as a video podcast on YouTube with your host, Joita Gupta. One hour ahead, a still of Kelly and Company. Stand by. Welcome back to Kelly and Company, and in this hour, we check in with independent living skills specialist Leanne Barda, and with disabilities from the classroom with Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights a little later on in the hour. Kelly McDonald here with Romeo Muthen, and it's time, as we like to do on Mondays and Tuesdays, to visit with one of our community reporters. Annette Dennis joins us with some news from London, Ontario today. Annette, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing fairly well. How are you guys doing? Not bad. It uh, seems to be a busy, busy, active show today, Ramya. Yes, absolutely. Lots of, always lots to talk about. You might want to sit back though and take it easy a little bit and maybe watch a show or go check out an exhibition maybe, Um, you know, kind of be your own late 1800s, early 1900s detective. You want to talk about Murdoch Mysteries, where we get transported behind the scenes, Annette, uh, of this internationally acclaimed show that we've seen on our TV for, what are they now, 14 seasons, something crazy like that? I think they're at the 16th now. I don't know if they wow. just started filming. Yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that long ago that, yeah, it was just starting out. So, yeah, so this, I thought this was really intriguing and, and um, a fun little uh, something to take in in our area. Um, so it's called Murdoch Mysteries, the exhibition, and it is taking place at um, the museum, which is located at 10 King Street West in Kitchener, Ontario. Now it opened on November 12th and runs through February of next year. Um, their hours um, are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thursday through Sunday, but they have uh, Wednesdays. They are open from 10 until 8. Um, so just the, the basic uh, idea of this, it, the exhibition aims to transport us um, behind the scenes of the, the TV show. Um, so uh, people will be able to immerse themselves in the fascinating history, science, and fashion of the series, explore what it takes to bring the, sh- uh, the world of Murdoch mysteries to life, um, you know, through the, the costumes, steampunk, style inventions and authentic set recreations. Um, and they're also going to have um, entertaining interactive experience. So that sounds kind of intriguing for, I can just imagine what sort of fun things they can come up with for there. So this should really appeal to those, you know, fans of history in general, fans of the show. And I imagine even fans of the books that got this whole thing started way back in the day. So really um, interesting. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, when the series started, I didn't feel so much like it was going year by year by year as you do kind of now as it progressed into different activities of history and following history in Toronto as the backdrop of the show, where now I really, you know, and again, I, I don't watch as many episodes as I used to, um, definitely, mm-hmm. but still, 
always like that kind of feel about the show. Also having the privilege of being on their set uh, back in the, in the day uh, to do uh, to shoot a story. Um, it was really fascinating to see how they tried and were making sure as much as possible to bring exactly what you described to the audience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That reminds me, I'd love to go back and, and watch that. I remember when you did that. Um, yeah, this, the, the Murdoch Mysteries is such an interesting, like it's, it's funny to think of our, you know, little Toronto, you know, the, you know, from start to finish, it's, it's such a local thing to, and it's, the fans are just amazing if you do go on their website and it's, it's kind of fun to see that. Um, so yeah, this is something fun, a little bit different to do. Um, now the prices range, um, from 1495 for adults. Uh, under 12, 1095, uh, 55 and older, 799 students, 1295. Um, and they, they do have family pass for 3995. It's also Wednesdays, they have a special rate of 799. And uh, folks can, uh, if they're interested, they can book online or you can actually call or email if you have, if you'd rather do it over the phone, if you have issues um, with their, you know, registering on online or whatever. Awesome. What we'll do is we'll put that up on the blog, of course, at ami.ca slash Kelly Co. And uh, make sure that people can go check it out there, any of the information out there in the KW area. And boy, folks, if you do have any interest, please make sure. It's, it's It's a fun time. And Annette, your second item, the Holly Jolly Holiday Market in London. Yeah, so this is coming up really fast. Uh, I guess, yeah, it's hard to believe we're nearing the end of November already. So this takes place uh, Friday, December 2nd through Sunday, December 18th, running Thursday through Sundays um, at the Covent Garden Market, which is 130 King Street here in London. And it's a free event um, to, you know, to to browse through. Um, So, and it's taking place, the outdoor Rotary Square uh, is going to be transformed into a magic holiday village that will be complete with uh, Santa's house uh, light installations, which sounds really, really fabulous. Um, uh, artisan vendor huts, uh, food vendors. They're going to have live entertainment, kids craft corner, uh, a hot chocolate station with all the fixings, which includes, cool. of course, marshmallows, candy canes, and uh, whipped cream. Um, there's going to be a, a licensed uh, cocktail garden area with fire pits. So that's something a bit different to do with your friends. Um, horse horse and carriage rides. Um, and uh, this year, for the first time, they're going to have a big Christmas tree. And the hours for that are Thursday 2 to 7, uh, Friday 12 to 9, with the exception of opening night until 10, Saturday 2 to 9, Sunday 11 to 5. And with that, they're also going to have an indoor market, which will take on the up, will be at the upper level. And um, so there's going to be 30 vendors there. And as you can imagine, there's going to be, you know, lots of local um, homegrown things from food to stocking stuffers and everything in between. And their hours, Thursday, 2 to 7, Friday, 12 to 7, Saturday, 10 to 7, and 11 to 5 on Sundays. And with the, oh, just a quick note, with the free horse and carriage rides, I, I think this is something very new this year. Um, it's going to be between the Victoria Park and the Covent Garden Market. And that's going to be Thursdays from 2 to 7 and Sundays 10 to 5. But that's just specifically between December uh, 8th and December 18th. And that's 
that's nice, you know, for especially little kids who want to get a chance to go with the, you know, with mom or dad or and ride over. It's enough of a little ride over to Victoria Park and and should be safe enough. I I always worry, you know, you put horse and buggy on the same roads as vehicles, you get a little nervous. Um, but I also like the fact that the way it's designed over there, it gets people a chance to go into the market area outside and kind of feel for people in Toronto. I know most of you have that big distillery district event where the big tree is there. So it, it's really nice to see them using this area in a re-envisioned way, uh, especially since we've struggled with the downtown and you know, want them wanting to try to get people to feel safer. Annette, before you move on to the next item, the last item, I got to ask, so with that hot chocolate station, are you taking all of that, the hot, the, the, like the candy cane, the cream, and the marshmallows? Um, why not, right? Yeah, I'm that type mm-hmm. of person where I'll put marshmallows in my hot chocolate, and yep. then I'll go and add some more. <laughs> So it's yeah. basically marshmallows with a bit of hot chocolate. I won't but do yeah, the, 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 the candy, cream and candy cane. cane. Yeah, see, I won't do the candy I, cane. You don't like the peppermint? I used to do that. I used to kind of stir it in and watch it melt. Yeah. How about you, Amuda? So good. Um, oh. I don't on purpose melt my marshmallows anymore, but it is nice to have the melty marshmallows at the end. In oh, a nice hot chocolate. <laughs> Ooh. The little guys, oh, not the big a, ones. I just had a memory of burning dead. my tongue when I was little. That's awful. We won't. Go, oh, yeah. We won't go there. No. <laughs> Always let it cool first. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, but the the thing is too with any anything festive now, I or like around this season, I go looking for biscottis. So it's oh. not just about yeah. Wow. Not just really? about hot cocoa. I know. Good heavens. Uh, Annette, do you want to talk about the the lighting of the uh, lights in Victoria Park since we've mentioned Victoria Park? Yeah, yeah. So this kind of ties in together. Um, For folks who know, they know. Um, So the lighting of the lights in Victoria Park is happening Friday, December 2nd this year. And um, the live entertainment starts at 6.15 and then they do the big countdown and the lighting at 6.50. Um, And so it's over 75,000 lights. Um, in the park nightly beginning that night until so they turn them on at 5 through 11 p.m. and again this year they're doing it till the end of February and that's new I think last year usually you know New Year's Eve boom you're done but now they will keep the lights on which is kind of nice till the end of February. Um, I think they started that over the pandemic just because people needed to pick me up. I, I believe that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And I think it must have been really popular. And because you get, you know, you always think you're going to, if you don't get down there, the next thing you know, Christmas has come and gone. And you're like, I didn't get down to see lights. So, yeah. And they'll have the typical stuff down there, including um, for a place where kids can drop off their, their wish list for the North Pole. So, um, and then they also have the, the City Hall observation deck, which is open just for that particular month and the hours. They can, people, People can uh, go and check your your blog for for the particular hours where you can go and do that if you want to do that until the end of December it. for them. I do love the the any of the lighting festivities that happen around this time, and there's uh, so many around Ontario. Some of the bigger ones that more people are aware of, like you know Niagara's Festival of Lights, and then um, other ones like this, where locally people get so interested and and love to go support. Right, Annette. Oh, absolutely. And and there really are folks, you know, you just look it up and there are a lot of small communities will have them. So it's really fun to check out the different and even within the city, you always have those neighborhoods and, and, and houses that they get really into the, the, the decoration and the lights for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a lot of properties I've noticed too over the last few years where people invest in it, people who have done it for years, and they have a ton of lights, and it's something they like to do, and they they have the right property where people can stay in their cars, especially as they re-envision this with the pandemic, and really enjoy the lights with their families. Um, lots of really cool things. Santa's mailbox, and you got all sorts of stuff there in Victoria Park uh, that uh, that uh, people can see in the other displays. Santa and his uh, reindeer. I think they moved Santa's house over there to the market. So for those going really? to the market can check that out because it was kind of in jeopardy where it was sitting there in the park Mm -hmm. long story won't get into that uh annette thank you (laughs) awesome stuff merry christmas hey merry christmas talk to you soon folks annette dennis is our community reporter in london ontario bringing some really cool stuff if you want to check out those dates you need the refresher go to the blog ami.ca slash kelly co we visit with our community reporters on mondays and tuesdays right here on the program up next After this break, independent living skills specialist Leanne Barda brings us a holiday fun guide with tips on uh, tree trimming, personalized gifts, and seasonal sensitivity activities for kids with sight loss. We'll get into that in a moment. Remember to check out OOTunes on the Radio Player Canada app. Get those on your smart device, folks, because if you have to take off, go out during the show between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern or one of the repeats, but you want to keep up on the program right here from AMI-audio, Kelly and Company, that is, well, get one of those uh, great apps that sound wonderful and have so much great content on them, OOTunes, or the one that has so many Canadian stations lined up ready for you, the Radio Player Canada app. Awesome apps in which to take us with you. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program, my co-host at the Toronto Home Studio, Ramya Muthan. Leanne, nice and early in November, we're going to be getting our holiday talk in, prepping for the holidays. We're talking about a bunch of different things. We'll call it the Holiday Fun Guide. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds sounds about right. Considering, um, you know, we're going to the malls um, around Halloween, we're already starting to see all the Halloween stuff disappearing and all the Christmas and Hanukkah stuff uh, getting put in, so... Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's as good a time as any to to get into it. Yeah, if anything, we're late, so let's get yeah. get to it. Um, talking about t- tree tim- trimming, I can never say that right. Tree trimming uh, to begin. <laughs> yeah. So you know, first thing you want to deal with is whether you're choosing an artificial tree or a real tree. You know, each one has its merits depending on how much work you want to put into it. And with the with the real tree, you know, you have to worry about maintaining it by watering it. You have to clean up the the fallen needles uh, pretty much every day. I remember one year, the only time I got a real tree, um, I was finding mm. needles well into July. <laughs> so oh my! They, okay. Yeah, they they kind of just show up uh, in random places, uh, even if you think you've gotten them all. Did you and enjoy then, of it course, though, or was that the was that the reason why you only had it the one year? I did enjoy it. I liked the smell and I liked the look of it, but the maintenance and then the disposal part was like the biggest issue because you had to wrap it a certain way for the city to right. be able to take it. Yeah. So that yeah. was, I think for me, that was a barrier because I was living in a condo and it just, you know, it was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, enough of us don't even <clears throat> take down our Christmas decorations on time. You know, sometimes there's partial decorations into Jan, February. So I can imagine oh, how yeah. much time consuming uh process it is with the real trees. So what can we, 
consider whether we're doing artificial or real um yeah what does the tree trimming have to offer okay well you know uh with the artificial you know you can get pretty much any color any size any shape <clears throat> but um what i like to do is keep it it looks kind of like a large hockey bag on wheels and the tree once you take it apart goes back in there you zip it up and it goes back into a closet and uh ready for next year so uh, one place to start is probably the lights. Um, there are so many different things you can um, choose. You have uh, colored lights, bright white lights. You know, everybody, some people like a theme. So they try to choose um, lights that, you know, fit that theme. So if you're going with a silver and, and blue or, you know, really depending on um, what your mood is for this year. Okay, that so, sounds really nice. And the lights. Yeah. So applying them is a whole other ball game. Um, yeah. When we first got our cat, the first year he decided to get himself strung up in the lights, and we had to cut him out of the tree. <laughs> and oh, so, no. uh, yep. And uh, so after that, we had to uh, find more creative ways of uh, putting on the lights so that he wouldn't be able to uh, get into it. So we ended up just wow. putting lights on the top half of the tree and leaving the bottom bare. It wasn't the most attractive looking tree, but it works. Um, then the other thing too, so tinsel is one of those things, I guess it's more of, you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and um, I don't know if tinsel is, is, is as much um, a big deal as it is, as it was then. So if you like it, go for it, but just be aware that uh, for pets, uh, you probably want to stay away from it because it, it can wind up and gets caught in their stomachs. Exactly. And yeah. Pets around holidays, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it with Danielle Jeankind, but it is a big, like other things too, right? Plants and and festive things, uh, chocolates, gifts, wrap, oh, whatever. Yeah. Beware exactly. your Exactly. Yeah, and holiday plants too, like poinsettias and lilies can be really toxic for, mm-hmm. for cats and dogs. So if you do decide to have them, put them up high or keep them in, in certain areas at night. So if your pets are loose then they won't get into your plants. Yep, exactly. Um, Yeah. So the next thing, you know, um, if you want to use, if you're not sure if your lights are on, then you can use uh, a light detector like, um, sorry, my cat is trying to jump into paper bags. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you can use the the light detector um, app so you can see if if there's any lights burnt out based on the the, the chime that the app makes. So... Mm, you got to mm-hmm. use your tech wherever possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much use for it too. Electrical outlets is the next thing, right? Um, one yes. year, very recently, I put my whole tree together <laughs> and then realized, oh, there's no electrical outlet on the side and we had to do like a moving party. So <laughs> big yep, deal. Exactly. Yep. And uh, so, you know, that having near electrical outlets is a big key or making sure whatever outlet is plugged into is not overloaded. So Mm -hmm. you don't want to worry about uh, fire on top of everything else. No. Um, Yeah. So how about, I want to move to the crafting bit, because this is a lot of fun, making personalized gifts for the holidays. Oh, yeah. There's so many options out there with, you know, in the world of Pinterest, and there's like a million holiday craft shows now you can watch on on TV. So it gives you uh, quite a good cross-section of things you you can try out. So. Oh my gosh, this cat. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, making a handmade gifts for people is a really nice way to show that you, you care about them. So whether it's knit or crocheted, 
uh, a baked good or a handmade craft. Um, you know, they make really good um, host and hostess gifts. And if you're just starting out, you know, as a knitter, things like uh, simple things like dishcloths or scarves. And the really cool thing about the dishcloths is they're always useful and you can sort of um, wrap a small ornament inside or you can tie it around mm. um, a wine bottle and with a little bow. You know, there's lots of really nice things you can do. And uh, the other that. thing, yeah, uh, we've talked about making um, brailler art before. So using our Perkins brailers, there's a m- bunch of different patterns uh, on paths to literacy. Uh, .org, where the, you can get a brailler pattern for menorahs, for dreidels, for Santa's face, for elves, candles, angels, you name it. I even did a TARDIS one year. So <laughs> depending <laughs> on uh, how fancy. That. Yep. Things it's one get, of my favorites. Yeah. Yep. So, Very you know, nice. it, you can make really cool um, printed card, like braille cards like that for people. And it's not going to cost you a lot because I know if you try to buy them, they're pretty astronomical. Yep. Yep. Yeah. How about making your own and, wrapping paper? Oh, yeah. So um, you can get that brown craft paper that comes in a, in a big roll. And you can get some lovely holiday-themed stamps. Um, you can get um, some holiday-themed stickers. You know, um, you can even get some fabric paint and make some 3D pictures on there. So, you know, if you have someone who, you know, love to feel the image of, like, a holly leaf or of a Christmas tree, you know, you can, you can do some pretty creative things with that. Um, mm-hmm. The last thing I... I this one I did for my daughters last year. I made um, a holiday theme bookmark, and I got um, that paper that um, it's sort of it's like a plastic cover. You can, you can put the paper inside, and it kind of seals it, so it, it becomes right. waterproof. Yeah. So again, you can do it with some ribbon and some nice um, cardstock and some stamps. So depending on what you want to do, you can you can be really creative in that realm. Now, and everybody for the has out there. Oh, well, yes. So cookie trays, uh, you can bake a variety of cookies and squares, put them on a really nice de- small decorative tray or in a nice little metal tin with a ribbon. Those are really great options. I know everybody always has those cookie exchanges every year. Um, yep. So that got to get ready for that. And the next one is making homemade jams, especially we just got out of like uh, peach season and strawberry season. So if you would have some, you know, put away in the freezer it's a good time to kind of make those and you can make your own uh, custom labels either in braille or large print. And then um, you can get some really nice holiday fabric to put on the lid and and, uh, glue good it on there. There's so many really cool things. Mm -hmm. Um, The other ones are uh, you can make like your own dry soup mix. So you get a long thin tube tubular plastic um, uh, bag and you can put in uh, dried stock, dried vegetables, different kinds of beans and then you can print out the recipe or braille it out and then attach it with, with the gift. Um, I've seen this oh, I done. I love that idea. Yeah, it's really neat. You can do like a split pea. You can do a lentil soup. There's all kinds of really um, minestrone ones I've seen. Really nice stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You can do uh, the hot chocolate mix the same way. So you would put your dry powder. Then you put some chocolate chips and some marshmallows and uh, different things like that. Um one thing I did There's... another year. Oh, mm-hmm. go ahead. I made uh, <clears throat> ornaments from walnut shells. So I got I cut out little felt legs and little felt ears, and I made um, some turtles and some mice. So um, if you're not sure about tracing out the shapes, um, you can use a black felt tip marker to outline it, or you can use wiki sticks. Um, 
to kind of outline your shape and then cut around it for each creature. And then with your glue gun, and I'm going to say the, the G word, I, I'm not a fan of glitter, but if, oh. you know. <laughs> That's um, another thing you like, find in July. <laughs> oh, glitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you can use your imagination and make some really cute little ornaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Leanne, I want to skip down to because we are talking about getting that shopping done early or at least feeling like we can tackle the shopping. So do you have any shopping tips for us for the holidays? Yes. So let me skip down to that part. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Sorry. Ah, all right. So planning ahead. So um, I... I'm one of those people that compulsively shop uh, throughout the year. And whenever I see something on sale or I find a deal, then I, I kind of have people in mind and then I'll store it throughout the year. And then when Christmas comes and I don't, it's not a big shock in terms of budget and having to then look for something in a panic for all the people on your list. Mm-hmm. I've, I was, um, I went to the mall at Yorkdale the other day and it wasn't even Halloween yet. And, the mall was like insane with this. And especially now, you know, with all the other things going on, you don't really want to be in crazy crowded malls where it's, you know, suffocating heat in the mall and uh, all the people. So again, try to sort of space it out or just shop online, which is uh, an even better, better way. So if you don't want to use uh, the larger conglomerate uh, shopping spaces. There's Etsy and a few other ones, so you can you can support local businesses. Um, Amazing. And listen, I know we we don't have any time left, but there's so much more on the plate we didn't cover today. Hopefully, we can get to it soon before the holidays. You have so many tips on uh, what to purchase for people or what to mm-hmm. gift people, I should say. Some sensory-friendly sure. activities people can take part in during the holidays and much more. Leanne, thank you for your time and these tips. Yeah, well, happy holidays, everyone. I'm excited for uh, the holiday cooking that you can take part in. But Leanne will bring that to us a little later. She joins us on the third Monday of every month to talk independent living, this time covering tips for the holidays. Yeah, really nice. Wow. Mm -hmm. Some cool things there. I I like Leanne mentioning um, about... You know, tinsel and stuff like that. I mean, I hated always working with some of those things, but, you know, it's so different now over time. And then you think about, like, I go always back to thinking, what would it have been like in the days when people put darn candles on a Christmas tree? I mean, outside of more fires, but I mean, you know, it's just so, wow, I wonder what they were like then and and how, what they viewed then as the important things to have on a tree. And I bet you. Yep. I bet you a lot of them put, hung more fruit on it and stuff like that. Actual items oh, like popcorn. that. Yeah, something yeah. Like, I hear a lot of things that I'm like, what? I can't even think about what that would be like now with our oh, no. pets and our, our condos. And like, we're not even doing real trees barely anymore. So you, you would have had little pets inside the house loving it, though. Little mice that would have been, you know, oh, get him out of the tree. Dear. He's going to he's pulling down my apples. Starting to understand all the Christmas carols now. Uh, yeah, there's there's some something in there, isn't there? <laughs> now that you mention it, I never really thought of that. Boy, uh, that that's really cool, though. Great, great ideas that Leanne had there uh, on the segment, folks, of course. Coming up after the break, ladies and gentlemen, well, the exclusion of students with disabilities from the classroom 
is a persistent problem. Danielle McLaughlin will join us after the break for our Know Your Rights segment as we discuss options for parents and kids who feel they're being shut out. We'll talk to her in a moment. What was your favorite part when you guys at uh, Christmas? And I, I don't obviously know the family stuff that you guys did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was getting the artificial tree. As I've said, my family wasn't one for a real tree out. Uh, pulling the barrels out and then putting it together. That was the part yep. I could do without having real struggles. Because, of course, decorating it. Yeah, I could throw things on. But I'd end up putting, Cal, there's too many balls on that side. Cal, would you put some of the tinfoil on there? I am. No, it's all wrapped around your wrist. Would you put it on the tree, please? What was your favorite part? I like decorating trees, too. I do get a little bit controlling with it, though. Like, I'm the person who who's telling you those instructions. Like, more here, less here, and nobody put any up there. Somebody get the higher part of the tree. But anyways, the moving part of the tree was kind of fun because um, we definitely need help with that. <laughs> One time our, our Christmas tree's uh, base broke. Oh. My parents refused to buy a new tree, so my dad, let's just say, built a new base. It was way heavier than the old base. We had to, like, drag oh, that thing carrying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I loved all that part of it at home, but the best part for me was once people started laying all their presents under, the, the ones yeah. they've been hiding away from it. I loved it because I could go under the tree and I'd just shake presents and say, oh, that's a nice... And my mother would, come on, come on, come on out from under there. Come on, get out of there. Get yeah. out of there. <laughs> but it's really cool. So is this mine? No, it's your brother's. Hey, you know what? You're getting quiet. Folks, on Mondays, uh, near the end of the program, we do this, and it really makes us stop and think a lot of time when we get into discussions with Danielle McLaughlin, and we talk about our, our rights that we, we always need to keep up on and know what we can, can and can't do, I want to say, but really we just need to know our rights and think of things that way and respecting others' rights, a huge thing that sometimes we fall short. We've mentioned the uh, the issue of classroom exclusions of children with disabilities before on this program, but it is not going away, so we bring it up again. Now, Danielle, welcome back to the show, and I think where we're going to start that uh, you'd like to suggest we get into is what is the difference between an exclusion and a suspension? Good question, and hello to you guys. Um, I'm very happy to hear everybody back together. It's lovely. The notion is that an exclusion uh, is being done in the best interest of a child, and the suspension is a penalty. So if if you're being suspended from school, you probably did something you weren't supposed to do, uh, or your child did something he or she uh, isn't supposed to do. Um, and, and that's a punishment. An exclusion is something that can happen according to the Education Act for very specific reasons. So for example, if a child is in a situation where he or she is a danger to themselves or other kids, they can be excluded for a period of time. Or in the case of children with disabilities, and that's what we're talking about today, 
um, if the school feels that they cannot keep the child safe or that the child presents a danger to the other children in the class, they may be excluded, in other words, removed from the class or from the school for a limited period of time. Um, this raises a whole bunch of questions. Right? Well, and Danielle, I know when I was in school and there were a lot of the insurance concerns, yes. um, particularly around things like phys ed, I always felt and grew up feeling exclusion, excluded were dirty words. Don't yes. like, didn't like them because to me, they were lonely words. Well, they are lonely words and that's exactly right. And they're, they also look punitive, even if it isn't meant to be punitive. If you tell a child, sorry, everybody else is going on the field trip, you can't come. Right. That, that is really hurtful to that child. Instead of saying what is in the best interest of that child, and that is the standard by which all these decisions are meant to be made. In other words, what can we do to ensure that we include a child? Um, it's, well, for safety's sake, we're going to make sure that there's no liability here. And this has happened in numbers of schools. The, situ the situation um, in some schools has been that children with certain kinds of disabilities have been excluded, not because that child, him or herself, has posed a danger to others or you know, is seen as being uh, at risk, but because children with a certain class of disability are assumed to have uh, uh, the uh, to be dangerous. So, for example, if you say that a child who has autism um, may be likely to act out and be in an uncontrolled fashion, that doesn't tell you anything about the child who's sitting in front of you. So, if you say we will exclude all children with autism from this activity. You, this is this is a form of of prejudice and discrimination. You know, you are saying that you have an expectation that a child, because of their diagnosis, will act in a certain way. If you say that all children with low vision or who are blind cannot uh, go to gym class because we're so worried they might fall down or bump into somebody, you don't know that the child in front of you who has um, a particular uh, condition can handle it just fine, or much more importantly, whether the school can provide an accommodation, which by law they are required to do. So that a child who is being excluded because they're seen as being a member of a class of people who can't do something, when given an education assistant, for example, could do very well in whatever that activity is. The school has to be making these decisions according to law, in the best interest of the child and not what is most uh, cheap for us to do, right? So if you say that, well, you know, it's expensive to have a one-on-one -on -one education assistant, that's not a good enough reason. If your child is being excluded because the school says, um, you know, we can't afford to uh, to hire the kind of Support. Um, assistance your child needs, the kind of support your child needs, that's discrimination. Yeah. That's not a rational um, decision being made in the best interest of the child. And there have been numbers of cases in Ontario, in British Columbia, and in other provinces where the parents whose child has been excluded, the, uh, the parents of a child who's, who's been excluded, 
have gone to a human rights tribunal, and in some cases they've gone to court, and the courts have said, your child has the right to attend school. And the exclusion is being done on a basis that is that is incorrect, that, that is legally incorrect. They're, the assumption that, that because your child has a certain condition, or for example, that your child uses a wheelchair right. um, and, you know, and therefore can't attend gym class, or, you know, they, there was a case quite recently, and I don't think it's even gone before tribunal or, or court at the moment, where a parent was sitting in a, a car all day long outside the school because the child who uses a wheelchair was being told, we don't, we can't afford an education assistant to take your child to the toilet. And the parent says, well, I'll, I guess I just have to sit here and, 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 and be there. So with time. that being said, Danielle, as we see the potential of work stoppage because of uh, the issues that the Ontario government is apparently hammering out. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we had kids in school today. We have heard that w- the sticking point that was not addressed over all these talks over the weekend, we've already settled on the money issue. That was mm-hmm. a few weeks, a couple of weeks back. Now the sticking point, apparently, so we're told as, as citizens, is being able to hire more supports. I heard it differently put last week than I did yesterday and this morning. But to answer situations such as a parent sitting there in a car all day waiting to to support taking the child to the bathroom, support a child not being excluded from gym class or or, or getting the help and, and having fair amount of help uh, at any given moment and these hirings we're talking about, this would be the kind of thing that keeps somebody from their fair education. Or well, damage right. the success and, and, of it, and and what a thing for for a child to be made to feel that somehow they're responsible for their inability to participate in a program that by law they are to be included in. And yet exactly. the courts will say that and claim to uphold that. Yet we have this bargaining chip well, out there. Whether and I'm not saying I don't know enough about what the terms are, what the sticking point on this particular subject. Mm-hmm. I just know talking to Lucia, uh, talking about you know Rumia in school, Kelly in school, what I mm-hmm. witnessed from everybody else with with disabilities that have gone to school. What we've all said and what we've all talked about or been through at one time or another. And it's miserable. It really is. One of the things that, if you look at the statistics, pardon me, the statistics, you find out is that most of the families of children with disabilities who have been excluded don't know they can appeal. They don't know that they can say to the school, sorry, you don't get to uh, make me take my child home every, you know, at noon every day because you don't have enough staff. It is your responsibility to staff the school appropriately because my child has a right to an education. And that for this particular child, he or she needs an education assistant. School, you just do it. And, you know, the, the don't tell me that you cannot find people. There are people who desperately need the jobs and are well qualified to do this work. And it's the, op, it's the responsibility of the, of the, under the Education Act for the schools to be doing this. Unfortunately, many families feel very cowed by the school. They, they you know, they feel... Well, listen, if we get on the bad side, our child is going to really suffer from this. They, you know, our child mm-hmm. is going to be the one who gets, you know, left out in the cold and gets left out of things because, um, you know, we're making 
we're, we're making noise. We're making a big deal. Yeah. We're making a big deal. It's segregating and isolating Mm -hmm. enough, right? That's right. Without all these other added on issues of, well, we're going to take you to court and we're going to, I don't know, get on everybody's backs about this and all of this is, is it's so much for the, the student, the child to be burdening. Absolutely. It's a huge burden on, on a child who understands what's going on. And there are children to whom this is happening, who, who just don't understand why they're being excluded, what it is that brought this situation about, you know, suddenly the school doesn't have enough money and I'm the one who has to pay for it. Exactly. You know, that, that, that is just deeply unfair. And I think we need um, much more attention drawn. And listen, I know what an enormous burden it is on the children and on their families to complain about this, to take it forward to a human rights uh, tribunal, to take it forward then to, to a court. It's huge. Um, there are organizations that will help with that. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's like so many other issues that are awful. If nobody complains, if everybody says, well, I guess that's the way it is, then nothing happens. And, you know, I don't like the idea that we're laying this very heavy burden on the people who themselves are the victims of the system. But the more we go to our governments and tell them, not good enough, you're not doing a good enough job, you cannot make children with disabilities the people on the lowest rung of the ladder. In fact, if anything, these are the first people that you should be thinking about when you think about how to organize the system. The most vulnerable people must be thought of first, right. because if not, we're all at risk. Sure. So, you know, I, I am extremely troubled when I see that there are children who have rights and those rights are just being disregarded left, right and center. And and I wonder how much, and Danielle, we've always worried, this is something that you always hear the people who are kicked around the most don't have the means to maybe find that lawyer that says, let me worry about it. I'll take this on. Yeah. And and it is really scary because, as you said, people don't know they have a right to say, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't make That's me right. sit out here in a car and wait to do that. You better have the support from my child. We don't know. And there's always that concern. What if that, even if it goes to court, mm-hmm. you know, we're told, well, yeah, but your expectations are unreasonable. Your child has needs that at this moment, a specialty circumstance would have to, you'd have to pay for that. I don't have the money. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are organizations like ARCH. We've uh, interviewed people uh, on, on Kelly and Company before, uh, before. Uh, ARCH Disability Law, who will take these cases on and they will, they have a toolkit on how to complain. This is, this is Ontario based, but uh, you know, what you can do when, or if your child is excluded uh, under the education act, um, especially if you feel that it is detrimental to the child uh, to be excluded. So, you know, what is it you can do? Who's out there? There are the advocacy. There's advocacy uh, for inclusion. It's a. It's there's a video telling people how they can move forward to complain about it and what they can do. These things are all time consuming. There's mm-hmm. there's yeah. absolutely no question about it. Um, and you know it 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 makes me feel very sad to to know that the people who are the most vulnerable are the people who are going to have to work the hardest 
in order to ensure that they're treated fairly. And sometimes that work that's left off in school when you say, well, we know we don't have the right tools, we will give them a a little easier road, um, the flexibility in in what sometimes can be a negative way, setting them Mm -hmm. up for failure later because, well, we can't be bothered to, to help with this, so we'll just wave you on through. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, the thing is that parents and, and the children themselves, where, where they have capacity or they're old enough, um, should always ask for a letter. Why are you being excluded? Um, you have to give the reasons for the, ex- that you have to be given reasons for exclusion. It, and it can't, you know, it, it's not enough to say because we, we want you excluded. Right. Uh, the school, school has to provide you a reason. Um, there are specific steps in many schools that you can use to appeal the exclusion. Um, and you should ask that the school what's what's the policy for appeal, uh, and it should be in a document. And yes, you can talk to a lawyer, you can talk to Arch, you can t- you you know there there are resources out there, but you don't have to accept an exclusion, and you don't have to ever think that the child or the family has done something wrong, and that that is why they're being excluded. There should be you know they they sometimes they call these things informal exclusions or voluntary withdrawals when the parent has just said has been told uh, could you just keep uh, you know Teddy home today because um, you know we've got a complicated day and we just don't have time to take care of Teddy's needs not okay we've got a trip and we don't have it and it's that's it and whose Mm -hmm. problem who who's the ones that have to admit with the pie on the face It's the school's problem. It's Mm -hmm. a societal problem we have to solve. Danielle, awesome conversation. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk again. Bye. Danielle McLaughlin is here on Mondays for our Know Your Rights segment. Please take a listen again. If you missed it, you can do that via the podcast. We'll tell you about that shortly. We will step aside for a moment. When we return, we'll look at what we've got in store for you on tomorrow's edition of Kelly and Company. And we'll see what's going on over on AMI-tv with the folks at Now with Dave Brown. Folks, remember our friends from the Tripping on Air podcast are getting into the spirit of the holidays. They're giving away a ton of prizes as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Go to ami.ca slash TOA contest to review the list of prizes and enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December 1st at 11.59 p.m. ET, of course. So hurry, get on in there. Please also one set of entries per day. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping On Air Instagram page. Rummy Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show, will remind you to check out our podcast. If you miss any of the show, subscribe. Maybe give us a rating and review while you're in there. You can listen to the show in segment form. And, of course, you can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where we toss on an audio vanity card. Rummy, looking back at today's show, a segment to suggest, please. I think the F key, uh, F6 key still sticks with me. So <laughs> talking to uh, uh, talking to Michael Babcock on our tech segment right at the start of the show, always a great way to start off the week, you know, getting our tech reminders, whether it be custom, customizing, optimizing workflows, something new for you to take on for the rest of the week. And we love keyboard shortcuts 
because it's productivity, it's accessibility. And we talked a lot about all kinds of things today um, with the F6 key and the blog post available regarding that, but also JAWS and some other tools as well. Joey Deguto is here to tell us a little bit about the Pulse being available as uh, on, po- on podcast, of course, uh, here on the network, but also as a YouTube uh, podcast. And it was nice just to hear a bit about the history and the feel as she tells us a little bit about producing and hosting the show. I also want to thank uh, Josh for being with us, Josh Watson from the Neutral Zone panel. Uh, he j- filled in for Brock today, talked about Grey Cup. And we just visited a bit about the CFL and how that league looks different now and things that maybe they can do to kind of keep it out there and uh, people engaged and interested. He also broke down a little bit about the Teoscar Hernandez trade, Teoscar trade, excuse me, um, from the Blue Jays, uh, going with him going to Seattle and the guys that we, we got back and probably looking for more ahead. So interesting things there out of the sports report today. If you want to check that out via the Kelly and Company podcast, the full version, or of course in segment form from your favorite podcatcher as well, look up now with Dave Brown. Paul Daniels here to tell us, What's coming up on tomorrow's edition of their program? Welcome back, Paul. Hey, Kelly. Uh, tomorrow's show. Um, tomorrow marks the 59th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And since his death, more than 40,000 books have been published on Kennedy, the man and the legacy. We'll speak to Dr. Stephen Knott on his new book, Coming to Terms with John F. Kennedy, with his thoughts on Kennedy's legacy all these years, all these years later and why we're still talking about him. Nelson Rego from Cool Blind Tech will tell us how to use emergency SOS via satellite service on iPhone 14, a feature that c- it can be used in an emergency when you have no satellite or co- coverage. And we have, as always on Tuesday, our news quiz as Mike Ross, Karen McGee, and Jim Crisco do battle over current affairs. So are you sneaking some things in there regarding Kennedy? Because you oh, put no, that no, together, no. don't you? I, I, I could, but that, 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 that would be too easy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially I, I after having your guest. Question, but it's not, I do have a Kennedy-related question, but, but it's, uh, it's, 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 a little, it's a, little more, a little more subtle than the anniversary. So, Well, well sir, and we know that you've read uh, how many books on the subject? Oh, I stopped counting, Kelly. I've read about 300. <laughs> <laughs> I got about 39,700 more, more to go, you know? Well, we know it'll be a good talk, a great piece put together uh, by you and uh, wonderful guests. So folks will tune in tomorrow. Now at Dave Brown, we'll talk to you tomorrow, Paul. Take care, Cal. Their show at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. Do check it out, ladies and gentlemen. And Ramya, we are uh, getting lined up for tomorrow, uh, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Wonderful show. Thank you, Kels. You too. Talk then. So we want to thank Dan Panamondo, who's uh, behind the glass there, teching the program. On our show tomorrow, recently, a zoo involved in Asian elephant conservation got some ex- extremely surprising and great news. Dr. Danielle Johnkind, she'll be here to share the story. Also, nutritionist Julia Caranches brings us ways to stay calm or practice calmness during the busy holiday season. Community reporter Tony Freimark highlights Notice the Ability, an International Day of Persons with Disabilities celebration taking place in Medicine Hat. And on our parenting chat, Lucia Belafonte discusses how parents and children can enjoy and embrace the best of the holiday together. We jump into Kelly and Company starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. Talk to you then. I'm waving at you.
So as we get ready to switch to TV, um, keeping in mind, ladies and gentlemen, podcast still here, going to be the same, right? And we will still be airing on AMI-audio. Some of these things, as we mention it and remind people, uh, without trying to overwhelm and, and go on about it. So uh, do have to remember to, to mention things like that. Because for some people, hey man, I don't, I'm not in Canada. I can't enjoy the show via uh, television. That's nice and all, but I can't. So we want you to know that we're blessed enough to be still keeping, obviously, the streaming through AMI-audio, as we will still be carried and simulcast there. So for many of you out there who listen to Kelly and Company, soon to be Kelly and Rumya, it really doesn't make a difference. Obviously, you're going to hear a bit of sound difference. The show itself will change a tiny bit, but our goal, as far as we're concerned, is the team that puts the show together, and we will all still be there. Uh, we want the same show. This has been kind of the discussion point we've had the whole time. Uh, upper management wants the same show that you hear on AMI-audio on television. And obviously, there's when it comes to a television component, certain d things you think about a little bit different. But we've been conscious to still remember we still have a podcast audience, an AMI-audio audience that has been loyal and stuck with this show. We're not interested in catering to the TV audience. It's beautiful. You can see our contributors, for those of you that can, ourselves, and we will put lots of elements in for you to, to, to enjoy. But the same basic show, not just a radio show with cameras in the room, no, no, but the same content, the same style of show as Kelly and Rumya will exist to you. We will obviously still be looking for your feedback, wanting your comments, wanting to hear from you, still have our wonderful contributors sticking with us. Um, I mean, you know, some people uh, feel, oh, you're putting it on TV, it's going to change. Well, I think due to what we do, our audience that we have, we keep in mind so many of us are looking for that variety of content, covering disability issues, and so much more, and we are lucky to be able to do so. So I'm going to tell you right now, mm, we're keeping the same show as close to as possible as we can. And by the way, that includes you. I want to keep you here as well. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.